So I got, I, got a, I got a new book in the mail uh, a few days ago. I'm always excited to get a new book. I was getting a haircut. It doesn't take long, but I was getting a haircut a few weeks ago, and uh, the, the young woman who was cutting my hair asked me a, what I thought was a strange question. Now, now some of you, you, all of you, you may see me up here on a Sunday and think, wow, he's a real sociable, friendly, talkative kind of guy. No, I use all my words Sunday mornings. But if I go to get my hair cut, I'm happy to just sit there and cut my hair. I don't necessarily want a conversation with a stranger I'll never see again. That's just the way I'm wired. But she kept talking to me and asking me questions. And then she asked me this. She said, have you read any good books lately? And I thought that was a really strange question from a young woman. I wasn't expecting it because a lot of people don't read anymore. Now, I should have said the Bible, I know, but I didn't. I didn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did not take the opportunity to tell her that Jesus could be her Savior, that she's a wicked sinner, and she needs to repent. I didn't do that. I just chatted about the book that I was currently reading. But here's the problem. That was a couple of weeks ago, but this week I got a new book. How many of you are reading more than one book right now? Right? How many of you got a stack of books that are like a fraction of them read? Oh, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. It's, it's kind of, you know, I think, oh, that's a good book. I've got to get that, and I'll get it, and I'll start reading it. But then I get, you know, it's the next bright, sparkly thing. It's like, oh, look at that book. I've got to get that one. And, and I've got a whole little container down at the side of my recliner, and I've probably got about 10 books that are stacked up there in that container. And every one of them I've read some of. Right? Focusing has always been one of my challenges. And you know what? On our journey of faith, it's important for us to be focused, but to be focused on the things that really matter. We started a new series last Sunday called Like Jesus. And last Sunday, I talked about party like Jesus. I had a good time with that. If you haven't seen that yet, it's on our website, it's on YouTube, it's also on our church Facebook page if you scroll down towards last week's post. I, I had a good time like that. I, I particularly loved that last segment where I said, I'm going to say six words you never heard from a pastor before, hang out with the wrong crowd. That was, I love doing that bit because I'm a rebel. But, but that was last week. This week, I want to talk about focus like Jesus focus. Let's focus on the things that he focused on and that mattered to him. When I was a teenager, I, I read this. It's not really a poem because poems rhyme, right? How many of you are old school? A poem should rhyme, right? If it doesn't rhyme, it's not a poem. So it's not a poem. I'm not sure what it is, but here we go. It was, it was written over a hundred years ago, and it starts with this. It's called Incomparable Christ. More than 1,900 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He did not travel extensively. Only once did he cross the boundary of the country in which he lived, and that was during his exile in childhood. He possessed neither wealth nor influence. 
His relatives were inconspicuous and had neither training nor formal education. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked upon the waves, and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his service. He never wrote a book, and yet perhaps all the libraries of the world could not hold the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he's furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never marshaled an army, nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun, and yet no leader ever had more volunteers who have, under his orders, made more rebels lower arms and surrender without a shot fired. He never practiced psychiatry, yet he's healed more broken hearts than the doctors far and near. Once each week, multitudes congregate worldwide at worshiping groups to pay homage to him and respect him. The names of the past proud statesmen have come and gone. The names of the past scientists, philosophers, and theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man multiplies more and more. Though time has spread 1,900 years between the people of this generation and the mockers at his crucifixion, he still lives. His enemies could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. He stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by devils as the risen, personal Christ our Lord and Savior, the incomparable Christ, the incomparable Christ. And I am following on from that by saying we need to be like the incomparable Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 says this, God knew His people in advance and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God knew in advance that we would be his people, that we would be his followers. God knew that in advance, and what God did, it says, is he chose us to become like his son. God's goal for us is that we become like Jesus. And what I'm doing over these weeks is looking at different aspects of how Jesus was to encourage us to be those who follow His example. So let me, let me start here today. Yeah, that was just the introduction. Let me, let me start here today and let me point out first up what didn't matter to Jesus. What didn't Jesus focus on? What wasn't Jesus about? Matthew 8 and verse 19, then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background here. There were most of the people in Jesus' time, even those who followed him, 
thought that he was going to be a political, a military leader who would overthrow the occupying Roman army and who would establish himself as the king and then the kingdom would be restored and, uh, to, to the people of Israel fully and they would have their freedom. They were looking for that. So this teacher comes to Jesus and, and, and he says to Jesus, hey, look, um, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. So Jesus wants to make something very clear here. It's like there's no fame or fortune in this, you know. And here's what he said. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Look, you can follow me if you want, but I got nothing. And that was how Jesus lived his life. He lived his whole life basically depending on the help and support of others because he was never focused on the things that occupy a lot of our time and attention. So he never owned a house. He never had a place to call his own. In fact, when he went into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he had to borrow a donkey because he didn't have that much. Jesus wasn't locked into things. In fact, in Matthew 6, verse 19, he says to you and me, he says, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. So Jesus is saying to us here, listen, don't focus on material things. They did not matter to Jesus. So what did matter to Jesus? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. Here's what mattered to Jesus. There's a story in John chapter 4, and Jesus is, is, is going... Um, they're, they're going through a Samaritan village, and he's there with his disciples, and they're all tired, and they're hungry. So Jesus says, he said, I'm going to stay here beside this well. You go into the village and buy some food. So the disciples go off into the village and buy some food. Now, while they're having, they're off getting the food, Jesus has a very significant encounter with a woman who's there who comes to draw water from the well that absolutely transforms her life. And then she goes back and tells all her family and friends and neighbors, and they all come to faith in Jesus as well. So they're, they're, they're off at Subway, and Jesus is here, and, and, and dozens of people's lives are being transformed. And then the disciples come back with their footlongs, and they say to Jesus, hey, hey, this is yours, and, and you better eat it, man, because you're exhausted. And, and I want you to notice what happens here. They, they say to Jesus, you better eat. John 4 and verse 34, but Jesus said, the food that keeps me going is to do the will of the Father, of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. Jesus said, you know, you, know, you know what my food is? You know what keeps me going? You know what really, what, what, what really is worth getting up for in the morning for me? I live to do the will of the one who sent me, and I want to finish the work 
that he started. In fact, 44 times in John's gospel, it refers to Jesus being sent by God. He was aware of the fact he had come from the Father with a specific mission. He was God's man. And I just want to remind every one of you today, as a follower of Jesus, we are in this world as God's people. We are His. There comes a point where we surrender our lives and our will to God and say, Lord, I'm yours and you are my Lord. And since He is our Lord, that means to say that the focus of our lives becomes doing what the Master tells us to do. John 6 verse 38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to follow my own whim, but to accomplish the will of the one who sent me. That was what Jesus was focused on. Three and a half years of open public ministry. And then there comes the point that where he is going to be crucified. And the night before he is crucified, he is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's what he says in his prayer, John 17 and verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. As he looked to Calvary, he said, I have finished the work you gave me to do. And, and, and most of you will know that when Jesus expired on the cross, he said those three words, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. What was finished? What he came to earth to do, he came to give his life for you and me. Jesus' focus was to do the will of the Father. Material things, personal comfort didn't matter to him. What mattered was doing the will of the Father. Now, here's the thing. You really don't need me to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. We live in a world with a set of values that is totally the opposite of those of Jesus. We live in a world where the values are stuff and pleasing yourself. Jesus wasn't interested in stuff and he wanted to do the will of the Father. So many are driven by, preoccupied by, their lives are controlled by the things they want to own or drive or live in. So many people live exhausted. They live afraid. They live on the edge. They're, they're, they're pay, trying to pay credit cards down that are maxed out because they bought things they didn't really need, but they wanted so that they could impress people they don't even like. It's all about having things for so many. And on the other side, of course, we live in a world that's totally given over to people pleasing themselves. And God forbid you should say they shouldn't. That's why they say there are a hundred genders now. God forbid you should say, wait a second, don't you know simple biology? There's two, male and female. That's it. It's easy. You know. You can run a quick check and it's very straightforward if you want to do that, right? There's, but, but, but if somebody says, I'm this and there's a whole string and that's, that's the gender I've chosen, God forbid you should say, don't be stupid, right? Because they can be whatever they want to be. 
And they can do whatever they want to do. And you're being narrow-minded and judgmental and condemnatory. If you should dare to contradict that, everybody's doing their own thing. That's why we live in a country in chaos. Because there is no norm. There is no standard. But there is a standard. And you know what the standard is? The standard is the will of the Father. That's what the standard is. And how do you find out the will of the Father? There's a book for that. That's how you find out what is the will of the Father. The values of this world are totally the opposite of Jesus' values. Always have been, actually, and always will be. But here's the thing I want to caution you about. It's easy to get sucked into that because we live in this world. And that's why we need to be sure to focus like Jesus. Focus like Jesus. What did not matter to him was personal comfort and material things. What did matter to him was doing the will of the Father. In the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. That's pretty in your face, isn't it? If you're serious about it, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. That's the message's paraphrase. I want to read that to you again from the NIV. And here's what it says. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on earthly things. Sorry, let me get this right. Set your minds, glad you're paying attention. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. I want you to notice the way it's there in the the NIV. It says, set your hearts on things above. And it also says, set your minds on things above. Heart and mind. There needs to be kind of this concerted determination to focus on the things of God. And heart and mind have got to get really on the same wavelength, right? Now, like some of you, um, you know, some of you may have decided starting this year, here's something I'm going to give attention to. So, what, what, one of my focuses this year was I really want to get healthier this year. Uh, that involves, obviously, I need to drop some more weight, but I also want to get healthier in the sense of I want to get back to running. I really do. And that's, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where, where I am. And that's where my heart is. The other night, I was just sitting down quietly by myself. Jill had already gone to bed. And I was sitting down reading something. And I suddenly had this thought, because my mind went somewhere else. The thought was, I think in that tower we were given that's beside the Christmas tree still, because we still had it up, I think there are still cookies. <laughs> right? 
Okay, some of you can identify with that, right? God, here's where my heart's at. My heart said, I want to get healthier. I want to drop some weight. I want to be able to run again. But in the moment, my head's at cookies. <laughs> cookies. But here's, I've got to tell you this. You know, sometimes thoughts enter our head, and, and you know, they, they come, but they go. It's not the thoughts that are bad. It's acting on them. Those cookies were really good. <laughs> they were too good. In fact, they were so good, the next day I gave the rest of them away. It was like, I, I, can't, I can't live in peace with these cookies anymore. It was like, no, nah, I can't do that. Because, you know, our heart wants one thing, our heads want another thing. And that's, that's often the case in, in, in our Christian life, in our, in our faith journey. It's like in our heart, we want to please God. In our hearts, we want to serve God. But then something happens that takes us down a different road and in a different direction. And, and, and what the Bible is encouraging us here in, in Colossians 3, 1 is, is, is this. Set your hearts on things above and set your minds on things above. We need to focus on the will of God. Focus like Jesus. That was the second part of the introduction. So let me get down to the meat of this. It's all right. You all know. I, 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 I don't go on forever. Let me just make three simple statements here and just comment on each of them. Number one, focusing on God's will will bring you peace. Focusing on God's will brings peace. I, I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6. It says this, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Do what God would want you to do and do it with all your heart. Because when we do what God would want us to do, with all of our hearts. Philippians 4, 9 says this, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And when we're practicing the right things, here's what happens, and the God of peace will be with you. If you will pursue the will of God, focus on what God wants, the God of peace will be with you. How many of you know you'll never find peace when you're fighting God? Right? You'll never find peace because God, God won't let us go. The Holy Spirit kind of will continue to talk to us and to needle us and to prompt us all along the way. Jesus said this in John 16 and verse 13. He said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That inner voice of the Holy Spirit is constantly going to be saying, no, this is the way you need to go. This is the way you need to go. Isaiah 30 verse 20, your teacher, that's another name for the Holy Spirit. Your teacher will be right there, local and on the job, urging you on whenever you wander left or right. This is the right road. Walk down this road. So the Holy Spirit will constantly guide us down the right road. And when we go down the right road, there is peace. Now, my wife has a, 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 lot, of, a, a lot of wonderful virtues. She is not great at navigating and, and, and sometimes when we're going somewhere we haven't been, been before, we'll go. And then on the way back, she'll say, I don't think we came this way. 
Okay, I'm talking about pre-Google Maps and pre-Waze, okay? I'm cool now because I've got Waze. I've got Santa Claus voice on Waze. So Santa leads me wherever I need to go and back home again. So ho, 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 it's wonderful. But back in the olden days, it was like, I'm sure we didn't come this way. And then I'd be unsettled, and I'd be, I'd be like hesitant and nervous, like, is this right? Is this right? And then I'd see some landmark that I'd remember, and I'd say, no, remember that big old house? We passed that house on the way here, and, and I'm at peace now because I know I'm on the right road. The Holy Spirit will always guide us on the right road. And when we're on the right road and we're focused on God's will, we will have peace. In Psalm 119, verse 165, it says this, those who love your instructions have great peace. And look at the next bit too, and do not stumble. Isn't that a cool assurance to have? Those who love God's instructions, we do what He wants, you're going to have great peace and you won't stumble. Focusing on God's will brings us peace. Second thing I want to say about this is that focusing on God's will brings happiness. The Bible is full of stories of imperfect people. I love that. It's not like this book that's full of superstars that I could never really, you know, identify with or attain to being. It's full of flawed individuals because God's kingdom's full of flawed individuals. This church is full of flawed individuals. I didn't say that to insult you. I said, come on, let's be real. We haven't all got it all together yet. If you have, God bless you. Continue your delusional life and enjoy it. But, but, the, but, but, but we don't. We're all, we're all, still, we're all still flawed people. One of, one of the, the, the great characters, and many of you will know that in the Old Testament, was David, who became the king of Israel. And as the king of Israel, he did a number of uh, magnificent things. But then David had his flaws. And one of the most serious and one of the most terrible was, was that David committed adultery with a woman. And then, because her husband was a captain in his army, the next time they went to battle, he told the people, make sure he goes out right in the front of the battle. And her husband was killed. So basically, he committed adultery, then he had the husband killed. That's not good. And... God sent a prophet to David to basically say, I, I know what's been going on. And David's response to that prophet is written down as sound, it's actually Psalm 51. And part of his prayer of repentance and regret is verse 12 here. And here's the prayer. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Let me do your will to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. I, I do want to make one comment here that I want you to notice. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He didn't say, God, give me back your salvation, did he? No, he didn't. Because here's the thing. Your salvation is a gift from God. 
Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Here's what the Bible says about God's gifts. It says, God's gifts and God's callings, he doesn't take back. I'm a child of God by God's choice for all eternity. And you are too. But I tell you what, we can put ourselves in a place in this life where we are dead miserable because we didn't go down the right way and we didn't make the right choices. And in those situations, our prayer would be, God, God, please restore to me the joy of you. That's what he lost. He lost the joy from his relationship with God. God hadn't taken it. He'd lost it. He knew his joy was linked to doing God's will. And it is. When we're doing what God wants, focused on his will, it brings happiness. Thirdly, focusing on God's will brings strength. Focusing on God's will brings strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the Apostle Paul referring to some of the hard times he'd been through doing the will of the Father. But he says, when I was weak, I was still strong because God strengthened him and there is strength in doing the will of the Father. Material things and personal comfort did not matter to Jesus. What really did matter was doing the will of the Father. There is a statement in, 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 in the book of Isaiah that's made prophetically, speaking forward, pointing forward to Jesus, and it says this, I delight to do your will, O my God. My encouragement to you this morning is to take a hold of those words afresh and take a moment to say, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Don't let the values of this world turn your values upside down, but let doing the will of the Father be the thing that really matters to you. Focus like Jesus. Those of you that are in-house, would you stand with me just now, please? And as we come to pray, I just want to take a moment and I want to give you the opportunity just to open your heart to God. And for some of you, there may be a struggle going on in your life just now, what you should do. And maybe the Holy Spirit is kind of, you know, nudging you in a certain direction and it's something you're resisting for you and for all of us today. Let's just lift our hearts and minds heavenward and say, I delight to do your will. 